This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Welcome to this week's edition of America Change Forever. I'm Jeff Begays filling in for Gil Gross. While you listen to this broadcast, the statistics show that someone in America will be shot and killed. According to the Giffords Law Center to Prevent Gun Violence, 38,000 Americans die every year because of gun violence. That's an average of 100 people a day somewhere in America. Just this week, there were more mass shootings, including eight killed at a FedEx facility in Indianapolis. This isn't normal. I can tell you that from experience covering law enforcement for the past 30 years, both in local news as well as on national network news. But are Americans becoming numb? To this violence. In this episode, we're going to hear from both gun control advocates and gun rights advocates. You judge what they say and then think about where you stand on this issue. In the great state of Texas, there is a movement to make the state a sanctuary state for gun owners. Here's what that means Republican legislators and the governor are pushing to turn the Lone Star State into a Second Amendment sanctuary state where federal gun restrictions would be ignored in favor of local gun laws, which in Texas are more favorable to gun owners. There are other states and local municipalities across the country pushing and passing similar legislation. Let's discuss with Texas State Representative Justin Holland. He was kind enough to join us for this discussion. Representative Holland, thanks for coming on. America Changed Forever. You bet. Thank you for having me very much. All right. So so tell me about this legislation and why you think people in your district support it. You bet. Absolutely. So my House Bill 2622 is intended to protect the current rights of law-abiding gun owners in the state of Texas. We see impending legislation potentially forthcoming uh, or uh, also uh, presidential executive orders that have come from Washington, D.C. that are uh, threatening to aim, they're, they're threatening to infringe on the constitutional rights of Texas, particularly the Second Amendment. So we believe in Texas that the Texans' right to self-defense and to keep and bear arms for the protection of your family and your business and your home is uniquely protected by the U.S. Constitution. But the federal government is expressing their intention and their interest uh, day by day in Washington, D.C. to chip away and erode our rights uh, uh, about guns. So we are going to make Texas a sanctuary state for the Second Amendment. But listen, we're having this discussion discussion at a time, you know, when we've seen several mass shootings, too many to count at this point, in just the last several weeks. 
So is this the right time to be pushing legislation that uh, makes Texas a sanctuary state against federal gun laws? I think it's the best time. uh, It's the right time to do it. Uh, it, The reason that we're having, you know, first of all, I I like to make it clear, bad guys, uh, criminals don't follow our laws anyways. So we, we're protecting the rights of law-abiding Texas citizens that, that uh, have this uniquely protected right to keep and bear arms and protect themselves, their families, their businesses. Uh, you would erode the rights of people to have that protection uh, by legislating around the bad actors. And uh, that's exactly what criminals do not follow the law. Um, and so uh, we, are, we, we have to make sure that we don't penalize 29 million Texans uh, for the actions of a few. How do you explain this rash of mass shootings? Uh, it's, it's horrible. It's, uh, it's absolutely reprehensible. Um, you're not going to be able to change the hearts of, of people who create uh, this chaos and the people that are committing these crimes. Um, that's a heart issue. This is not a gun issue. The, just the other day, a man drove into the nation's capital and stabbed a, uh, a U.S. Capitol police officer with a knife. Um, the, those people um, shouldn't have their hands on guns, and this doesn't change the amount of people who can get them. It, it mean, it, nothing changes. Uh, if you like the way the law is right now in the state of Texas, that's what we're trying to preserve. We're trying to freeze in place our rights not uh, erode them from Washington, D.C. And by the way, this bill, nothing precludes the federal government from enforcing their own laws. But you just said those people who commit these acts should not have their hands on guns. But what you're proposing is legislation that will make it easier for people in this country to get access to guns. Uh, It will not make it easier. it'll, It'll keep it exactly the way that it is right now. We're not changing anything or loosening anything. We're maintaining current law. How do you feel in in cases of mental health, for example? During the Obama administration, there was uh, legislation put in place making it harder for people with a mental health history to get their hands on guns. That was legislation that the Trump administration then essentially did away with. How do you feel about that? Do you think there should be restrictions in terms of, you know, people who have a a documented history of mental health being able to acquire weapons? You know, right now we have a a process in place in Texas for background checks. And uh, if a person is not legally able by current Texas law to get a firearm, then they will not be able to get one under the new law. You know, first of all, again, I, I appreciate you coming on the program. We reached out to the NRA several times, didn't get a response. We've reached out to other gun rights advocates, uh, didn't get a response from them. But you were kind enough to come on and, and just talk about this issue because I think a lot of, you know, not only gun control advocates, but a lot of families out there have a lot of questions about what's going on in this country in terms of the gun violence in neighborhoods in Texas and neighborhoods across this country. And I think they're looking to leadership, people like yourself, 
to to find solutions to this, not solutions that would take guns out of the hands of law-abiding citizens, but solutions that will uh, find a way to curb this violence that you know we wake up to every day. Right. Well, first of all, um, this is this is my bill. My name's on it. I've got to own it. So I'm going to talk to pretty much anybody that wants to talk to me about it in a respectful manner as as you you are and have. And and I'm talking to we're having multiple of these conversations a day. I mean, we want to we want to have an open discussion about this. We're going to have a discussion about it on the House floor. We passed after seven hours of uh, uh, debate, we passed a permitless carry. Uh, bill that will that will be sent over to the Senate uh, after today. Uh, we believe that the uh, a law-abiding uh, citizen that has the ability to protect themselves with a firearm, which is protected by the U.S. Constitution, makes the community safer. The the guns are out there, and I I don't think anyone is has said, and I've covered this issue, you know, for decades. You know, I don't think anybody has ever said I want to take all of your guns away. There has to be an element of personal responsibility here. You know, um, the, the people that, uh, you know, uh, if somebody has a gun, I mean, I'm a gun owner, I'm a father. I, I, I have to educate myself and my children and my wife about that firearm, how to use it, how to store it. Uh, education, safety, and training are important. Um, but it, it doesn't say in the, the U.S. Constitution um, that you have the right to keep and bear arms as long as dot, 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 X, Y, Z. Uh, so um, we're, we're protecting our, our, our constitutional right. It's not a privilege. It's a right. Uh, and I expect those people out there uh, to keep guns out of the hands of their children, out of the hands of people in their family with mental health issues. Um, we, that's a personal responsibility. That's a, a, a core, um, value of, of my political beliefs, uh, is that, uh, personal responsibility goes a long way. Um, and, uh, the government, uh, telling you what to do, uh, is something that we need to do a lot less of. Texas state representative, Justin Holland. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to America change forever from the CBS audio network. Welcome back to America Change Forever. Survivors Empowered is an organization founded by Sandy and Lonnie Phillips after the death of their daughter, Jessica Redfield Gowie, and 11 others in the Aurora, Colorado theater mass shooting back in 2012. Their original nonprofit, Jesse's Message, has grown into Survivors Empowered, a national organization created by survivors for survivors empowering survivors. Sandy Phillips, thanks for being with us. Thank you for the invitation. All right. So tell us about Jesse. Oh, where do I begin? Um, my daughter was a feisty redhead um, that loved hockey and loved journalism. So somewhere along the line, she decided that she was going to be a sports journalist and moved to Colorado to finish up her education and do some interning with friends that were already in the sports world. And uh, she was loving life. We were very proud of the young lady she was becoming, um, independent, self-assured, um, knowing her place in the world. And uh, we were two parents that could not have been more proud. The anniversary date of the shooting is coming up. 
almost 10 years ago. It's hard to believe. It's very hard to believe. Um, it will be nine years this July, so that will be the start of our 10th year tragiversary. Um, but we work with so many people in this this space that um, are on their 16th, their 20th, their 21st um, tragiversaries. And Tragi- tragiversaries. Yes. I, I have never heard someone use that term. Yeah, well, that's what it is. It's not, you know, anniversaries are supposed to be celebrated. Tragiversaries are just, it, it explains exactly what it is. It's a, a tragic occurrence um, that changes your life completely. So we started using Tragiversary early on. Somebody had posted it um, on Facebook, and I went, boy, that's exactly what this is, and uh, started using it. So, uh, And today is the, the, the Tragiversary of Virginia Tech, and now we have another mass shooting in um, Indiana. So uh, this this is happening everywhere, and I say that you're only one degree of separation from it being your story, uh, and yet we go on thinking that could never happen to us. One degree of separation from it being your story. I've talked to I've talked to gun rights advocates who, you know, who you know they have a different view of these shootings that they're. They're committed by criminals who shouldn't have guns anyway, and law-abiding citizens should have access to guns. It's the Second Amendment. Uh, it's in the Constitution. How, how do you respond to that? I'm sure you've had to to make arguments. The Second Amendment starts out with well-regulated, you know, so they like to leave that part off. And we're, my husband and I are gun owners, so... Um, we understand the the Second Amendment, but we haven't bastardized it like so many of the, the far right-wing gun owners have. Um, it does need to be well-regulated. It is currently not well-regulated. We have different laws in different states, and the states with strong gun laws have fewer deaths. The states with weaker gun laws traffic guns into states with stronger gun laws. Um, so we're a mess, and that's why we need to have federal legislation to to help get us back to where we can be safe walking on the streets or going to a movie or going to a restaurant or going to school or going to work. So, um, you know, we're, we're, we're staunch um, proponents of public health and safety. And right now, with what we're having to live through on a daily basis, is not we're not a safe country. It, it, like I said, it will affect all of us in one way or another. In fact, when my my husband and I speak, we often start the conversation with how many of you have been affected by gun violence? And at first, nobody raises their hands. And you start asking probing questions. You know, how many of you have known somebody who has taken their life with a gun? And few hands will, you know, tentatively, you know, like, "Uh, I do know somebody that did that. And then you start asking more questions about how many of you know someone who was a domestic violence um, victim and a gun was used to intimidate or threaten their lives and more hands go up and you still, you just keep on going with those questions. And by the end of the opening, you, you look around the room and you go, do you realize that most of you in this room have been directly affected by gun violence? And that's where people's brain starts to, Oh, okay. I'm closer to this than I realized. You have clearly made this issue 
your life's purpose. How how did you envision your life before that day in 2012? We were, um, I would say we were probably middle, upper middle class. Um, we had a nice home. We had nice furniture. We had nice cars, had great kids. Um, we, they were just, both of them were out of the house and following their career path. And we thought we were on the, uh, the downside of, uh, having to work so hard to achieve so much and that we would kind of coast into our senior years and enjoy life. And in one, one fell swoop that was taken from us. And we knew immediately, in fact, I can tell you the conversation, I said to my husband, I said, I don't want to be that mom when I walk into a room that everybody goes, oh, there's that mom whose daughter was slaughtered. And, you know, I, I, it was that envisioning that life that was like, no, 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 that can't be, that can't be my world. That can't be my life. And that can't have happened to my precious baby. And um, my husband gently took me by the shoulders and he said, this is who you are now. And it took my breath away, um, to say the least, but it was also like a, a, a gentle slap in the face that everything you once knew is over and done. And now we're going to have to recreate what we do with the rest of our lives. And we didn't have anyone there to hold our hands. You know, we were living in Texas. Jesse was living in Colorado when she was killed. So we were there kind of alone going, well, what do we do? And how does this, you know, how, how do, what step do we take next? How do we even cope with this, this news? And that's when we kind of decided that, okay, we're going to have to get involved in this, but in what way? And five months later, Sandy Hook happened. And we deployed to Sandy Hook. And I remember those parents walking in the room and I said, oh, my God, that's what we looked like five months ago. And um, and that was it. It was like, this is what we're meant to do. We're meant to be that hand. We're meant to be the ones that warn them what's coming at them next. How many years now have you been advocating for people to make those calls and still has it helped? Nine years um, this July, uh, and yes, it has helped. There are there are states in America who have better gun laws than they did before. Um, there are states that have worse gun laws than they have before. Um, the the gun manufacturers and the gun lobby in America is very strong, and they're very good at weakening what laws exists exist on the books. Um, they're, they're very strategic and they do a very good job of doing it and they do it so well that most Americans don't realize it's even been done. And then they're like, wait a second, you mean you can open carry any kind of weapon in Texas? Yes. And you don't need to have a license to do it. No, you don't have to have a permit. No. You know, so, you know, when they start hearing these things, they're appalled and they're a little angry that it's actually happened because they weren't as involved as they needed to be. So um, our job is to keep them aware. Our job is to uh, hold uh, feet to the fire. Um, and we do a pretty good job of that. We've, we form coalitions across this entire country that are speaking up and, and holding uh, 
elected officials uh, feet to the fire and saying, we demand this and we're not going to settle for anything less. We're not going for low hanging fruit anymore. We need to nip this in the bud. It's way, way, way out of hand. Do you ever get frustrated? Do you ever think about giving up your fight? Never. Um, Yes, I get frustrated, but I never think about giving up the fight. No, there are people dying every day. You know, how can you how can you turn your back on eight people whose lives have been taken from them for absolutely no reason other than going to work? Um, how do you look other families in the eyes and say, well, I'm giving up, I'm walking away, I've had enough when they're suffering? And I, I can't do that. My husband can't do that. Uh, there may come a time when we're too old to do this. Um, and that may be coming faster than we, we want to admit, but we're training others to do the job that we now do. And hopefully what we'd like to do is work ourselves out of a job. Um, you know, if you're a big organization, you're, you're raising money constantly. Well, we don't have much money and we certainly, um, don't have a staff, but we're working really hard to make a difference. And when you work that hard to make a difference, um, you end up succeeding. You don't give up. Sandy Phillips, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Welcome back to America Changed Forever. I'm Jeff Begays, filling in for Gil Gross. Igor Volsky is co-founder and the executive director of Guns Down America and author of Guns Down, How to Defeat the NRA and Build a Safer Future with Fewer Guns. Igor, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. What do you think of this current atmosphere we're in? Uh, active shootings, once again, for, for a time there during the pandemic, we didn't hear a lot about them. We didn't hear a lot about them, but that doesn't mean they weren't happening. Uh, in fact, we saw in 2020 an increase in mass shootings as compared to 2019. It's just that most of them were happening inside the home. At the same time, of course, homicides spiked in cities across the country by an average of 30 percent. And there's a lot of fear from experts that we're also going to see a spike in firearm suicides that's related to COVID. So the new president has really inherited a much more significant crisis than we had uh, just a couple years ago. So your book, Guns Down, How to Defeat the NRA and Build a Safer Future with Fewer Guns, the NRA, as you know, has had some uh, internal issues, so to speak. So it is it is not what it used to be in, in some respects, but it's still a powerful voice in Congress. 
It sure is. Uh, and the power of the NRA rests not just in its organizing ability uh, and its successes in driving lots of calls and, and, and rallies across the country that really have an effect on lawmakers. They have also uh, successfully, over really a period of decades, created an entire social identity around gun ownership and framed the debate uh, as anything that tightens gun laws or advances gun restrictions is a threat to uh, a way of life, is a threat to a certain cultural identity. And that has given their side a lot of power. It's a big motivating factor. And so even though the organization itself is going through some real distress, they have been able to really weave in uh, and attach the gun issue uh, in the very heart of the conservative movement. And so uh, that's part of the reason that even as they lose power, uh, members of, of Congress, uh, Republicans specifically, are showing very limited interest in, in solving this crisis. Well, how do you, as a gun control advocate, how do you change that narrative? Well, the good news is, is that the overwhelming majority of Americans, the overwhelming majority of gun owners and even NRA members support reforms like background checks or even firearm licensing that builds on background checks. The issue is really only controversial here in D.C. And so the question is, right, how do you create a viable path for uh, reforms that are supported by an overwhelming majority of the American people to make progress. Um, and for that, you probably are going to have to modify the filibuster and create an actual uh, avenue for these popular reforms to make it across the finish line with a simple majority vote. I'm sure you get this question all the time. But when it comes to active shootings, is it about guns or is it about mental health? Well, we know from the data fairly conclusively that uh, individuals who struggle with mental health are actually much more likely to be victims of gun violence than they are to be perpetrators of gun violence. Um, that being said, uh, it's also the case that there's a lot of room to improve our healthcare system, uh, our physical healthcare system, and our mental healthcare system. And it strikes me as curious, Jeff, that the very people who often advance this argument in order to uh, take the, the conversation away from access to firearms also, at the same time, spent uh, most of their careers trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act, a measure that actually bolsters mental health services. So in this day and age, how, how do you win more converts, if you will? How, what is the message that you're trying to send as these active shooting incidents become headlines increasingly become headlines across the country. Well, Jeff, let me just uh, say that the mass shootings uh, that often make the headlines uh, really make up uh, about 2% of gun violence deaths in the United States. Most deaths occur through suicide or everyday cyclical gun violence. 
Um, and so when we talk about, you know, how do you reduce gun deaths, it's really important to ensure that we're talking about reducing all forms of uh, deaths and all forms of gun violence. Coming up, we'll have more with Heath Orvolsky. This is America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Change Forever. I'm Jeff Begays, filling in for Gil Gross. Igor Volsky is co-founder and the executive director of Guns Down America. The good news is, is that in 2020, Americans overwhelmingly voted for lawmakers who made big campaign promises, the president included, uh, to, to work with Democrats and Republicans to get big things done. Uh, to pass uh, the kinds of measures that we've been talking about for decades. Now that we're you know about four months into this new administration, we're in a place where the House passed two important measures strengthening our background check system. The president took six initial very important administrative steps, including, um, I should say, a $5 billion investment in community programs that have been shown to reduce gun violence. And so now the question is, what will the Senate do? Um, and while there are uh, senators who are currently trying to find 60 votes for uh, some kind of reform, uh, my message is that if they're unsuccessful in that effort, uh, you know, they have to then, the majority leader, I should say, has to then take the appropriate steps to change the rules uh, and to ensure that, you know, the will of the overwhelming majority of Americans and frankly, senators um, is is followed through and that we're able to to save lives. But, you know, I, I will never forget Sandy Hook Elementary School and the shooting there in Newtown. I, I was there on the day that it happened. I covered the aftermath and everybody thought then, oh, things will change in terms of gun control in this country. Did anything really change? Yes. You saw states across the country uh, tighten their gun laws in significant ways. And you also saw uh, a real shift in how the gun violence prevention movement operates. And so we're now in a place in 2021 where the movement itself is much stronger and is much more robust. And as an example, uh, you know, traditionally uh, in gun violence prevention, there's been a lot of hesitation in publicly pushing uh, lawmakers who are champions on the issue to do more, right? That very rarely happens. Um, with, the, uh, with the inauguration of, of President Biden and these first couple of uh, months of his administration, you've really uh, seen a different kind of approach. You're seeing survivors of gun violence, Americans all across the country, take a much uh, uh, bolder uh, effort uh, to publicly, publicly push this administration and this president to live up to the campaign promises that he made and to prioritize this issue. And it's that pressure uh, that helped push the administration to do uh, what they did, take those six initial steps. And it's the continuing pressure uh, that is going to push the administration to prioritize this issue legislatively. So what's really changed, Jeff, is that I think there's been a real recognition that we are done waiting for the perfect political moment to, to put reforms in place. We are now in a place 
where we're uh, very loudly demanding change and are ready to really engage on this issue from an advocacy perspective in, in ways that I would suggest are far bolder than what the movement has been comfortable with in the past. Igor, I am always interested in hearing from people on both sides of this issue. I have friends, acquaintances who believe that the government wants to take their guns. Do you, how do you respond to that? I respond to it by saying uh, that's absolutely not true. I mean, you know, I appreciate that there are two sides to this issue, but when the other side uh, just perpetuates falsehoods uh, that can be so easily disproven, you know, I don't know that I need to uh, give it equal weight. Um, and on that argument in particular, what often follows that claim that the government wants to take my guns uh, is fears of a registry uh, uh, and, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and the reality is what these folks never really mention is there's already uh, a gun registry in the United States for certain kinds of firearms. So, for instance, in 1986, President Reagan signed a law that banned fully automatic machine guns in civilian hands. You couldn't sell those weapons to civilians anymore. And he said that the existing supply in the population uh, would have to be registered. And you could actually go to a website and see how many fully automatic machine guns still exist in every state. Uh, we had that law in place for 35 years. And in 35 years, I haven't heard of a single instance of when the government came in and based on that registry, took somebody's machine guns. So you know, it, I, I'm a little exasperated because this kind of argument, Jeff, has been around since the very uh, first um, uh, decades of, of the NRA. Uh, and they've been consistent with it for years and years, despite the fact that there's no truth to it. They use it for two reasons. One, because it helps the firearm industry sell more guns. And two, it gets people to buy more NRA memberships. So... Going forward, how much pressure do you think is on the Biden administration to make some progress on gun control legislation? Well, I was happy to see that the Biden administration uh, is already uh, making progress, right? I mentioned the six initial steps that the president recently announced. Uh, he has also included a $5 billion investment for community-based violence intervention programs in his infrastructure plan. Uh, and his skinny budget really demonstrated uh, key investments in the issue and signaled that it's a real priority for the president. Uh, and that kind of uh, progress is very important. But it's also true that the president didn't run on executive or just budgetary action. He ran on the promise that his years of experience in Washington, D.C. gave him the unique skills and ability to bring lawmakers together and get big things done. And what I'm asking the president to do is to simply live up to those campaign promises. And what I'm asking the Senate to do uh, is to work with the president to get these important bills across the finish line. At the end of the day, we've seen what presidential leadership from President Biden looks like. He was able to get the COVID relief bill across the finish line, even though it faced uh, such opposition from the other side. 
So he's shown us that he could get things done. And now he needs to put his shoulder into this issue and make progress here as well. If you were speaking directly to a gun rights advocate, what kind of appeal would you make to them? If I was sitting across the table with a gun owner, I would first ask them to uh, put aside all partisan divisions on this issue, take off their NRA hat, and be willing to agree that we both have uh, a joint goal of saving lives from gun violence, uh, and that we both probably believe that we uh, need to ensure that the people who choose to own firearms can do so responsibly. Uh, And frankly, that's all that our movement is asking for, to raise the standard uh, of gun ownership in this country um, and to ensure that um, uh, that we take, uh, you know, very logical and, and frankly, common sense steps uh, that help us build safer and more just communities and, and safer and more just communities for us all. Igor Volsky, thank you. Thank you. You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome back to America Change Forever. I'm Jeff Begates. Children and teens are particularly vulnerable to gun violence in this country, either as victims or surviving family members. John Woodrow Cox has a new book out. It's called Children Under Fire, an American Crisis. It takes a close look at how guns are affecting kids and teenagers here in America. Cox spoke with CBSN anchor Lana Zack about the conversations that he's had with children who've been impacted by guns and the bipartisan laws that could help reduce the rates of gun violence here in the U.S. You know, the idea of the book really was to uh, wake people up to what this crisis is doing to children uh, in this country every day. But what I wanted to do was to do it in sort of a new way, and that was by telling these stories through the eyes of the children who are impacted. There is support overwhelmingly on a bipartisan level for um, common sense gun reforms. Why haven't we seen more progress when it comes to things that the American public actually uh, really is behind on both a conservative and liberal? Yeah, so that's a question I get asked all the time. And and, the truth is that that money is a big part of that. Uh, The lobbies, the gun lobby, the NRA, opposes uh, almost any new gun law. And they... Uh, are a really fierce opponent. If you're a Republican in a conservative place and the NRA has told you, if you vote this way, we're going to come after you or maybe we're going to back another candidate, that's a really scary proposition. And there are many gun owners who have been sort of fooled into the idea that uh, any gun law is a threat to their owning a gun at all. They think that 
their gun will be taken away if any any small law gets passed. And that's a, that's a lie. It's just not true. Many of these laws would uh, do nothing to deprive law-abiding gun owners of keeping their weapons. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people also forget that in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook shooting when President Obama was pushing gun legislation, that got 57 votes in the Senate. So it was really the filibuster that stood in the way, even then, of these laws uh, passing. And, you know, that's sort of what is happening now. Again, it's a question of will they get to those 60 votes. So, Jonathan, what do you hope that your book is going to show people about how we should view guns and gun regulations? You know, I think... Uh, I hope it shows them that it doesn't take radical change for us to radically alter the lives of children uh, every day in this country. And it's not just the school shootings. Really, the kids who suffer the most are the ones in cities where they have to deal with random gunfire all the time. And it's so much bigger. I think that's really the hope, uh, the, the, the takeaway that I hope people get from this is that it's so much larger than we think. It's not just the hundreds of kids who get shot every year. It's also all these kids who are in proximity to shootings, who go through lockdowns in their schools. Millions of kids go through actual lockdowns, not just the drills, but actual lockdowns uh, every year. And what that does to some of them is they think, um, I might get shot in my school. And they say, you know, they write goodbye to their parents. So it's bigger than just the headlines. And the headlines are the kids who get shot. Uh, it is so much larger than that. This is a crisis that affects millions and millions of children in a really deep and profound way. And, and that's what I hope people come away with. And also the hope that it doesn't take that much. It will not take that much for us to make an enormous difference in these kids' lives. For Gil Gross, I'm Jeff Begays, and that is how America changed forever. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Wondery Plus.